So today we start lesson five. Guidelines for handling questions and objections. This is a good one, okay? This is a good one. Take some good notes, especially those that a lot love apologetics. Apologetics is basically uh, a word that describes the defending of your faith. The defending of your faith, all right? Does God need any defending? No, he doesn't. He's God. He doesn't need you to defend him. But does the Bible call us to be ready when asked difficult questions and to be ready to defend our doctrine and, our, and, and what we believe in? Yes, the Bible does call us to do so. So these are great uh, questions that you're going to get as you preach the gospel, as you have conversations with your friends, as you grow old, especially when you go into university. You will, ask, you will be asked these questions, and it's a good resource to have to be able to answer and to be able to use the word to do so. Yesterday I, had some, I, was, I, I met some new friends, and they were believers in Christ. They just had a different theology than I did. And I was able to have a good conversation with them, and they were having a conversation with me. And we were going back, back and forth, back and forth about secessionists and the continuum of the gifts and the secession of the gifts. And until I just took out the word, and I'm saying, hey, let's just read this real quick. Do you believe that there's modern day apostles today? Well, yeah, I do believe there's modern day. Okay, if the office of apostle, prophet, teacher, evangelism, if those offices are still today, but what were the requirements of an apostle? And there's one thing of saying it, but one thing is I took them to Acts 1. Let's look at what the requirement was. The requirement is in Acts 1 and says that you have to have been alive to see Jesus. You had to walk with Jesus since he was baptized by John the Baptist. So based on that requirement alone, can anybody today be an apostle? No. So that's why I say that there are certain offices that ceased when the early church was done and the, and the, and the Bible was created and the canon was complete. There was no need, there's no other need for an apostle to bring new revelation or prophets. And, and, and they were like, you know what, that makes sense. But guess what? It wasn't my argument. It wasn't my argument without using the word. But when I opened the word, the word has a power to change people's hearts. Not me, the word. And that comes into a, our, our first point. Remember the authority of Scripture. Remember the authority of Scripture. So we know that the month of November, 2 Timothy 3.16, was the verse to remember. Anybody want to say it? Everyone raise their hand and say it. Go ahead. Yeah, so all Scripture. Is it some Scripture? Or all Scripture? All Scripture. All Scripture is inspired by God. By who? And God is what? Perfect. So that means his word is perfect. And that is the final authority that we have. So here uh, it's an, itali uh, an italics, what you need to uh, underline. Remember the authority of Scripture. I know it's tempting to want to convince somebody about God's existence, not with the Bible, because pretty much you can. You can, like, logically debate evolution and debate moral relativism like you're on the winning side of that argument believe it or not compared to what they want to tell you in university and your school but is that going to save somebody the fact that we can prove that there's an intelligent designer and not everything happens by chance is that going to save somebody the fact that we can say well as a christian i know what right and wrong is because god tells me as a unbeliever atheist you don't know you can't come with that argument you don't know what evil or good is because no one tells you what evil or good is we're going to get into that in a second now, it's a good argument, logical argument, but is that going to save somebody? No, it's not. What is going to save somebody? The authority of Scripture, the gospel. You go back to the gospel. You preach the gospel. Why can't people understand these truths? 
Why can't people understand the truth and the fact of creation and, 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 and good and evil? Why can't they do that? Because they're dead in their trespasses. They're blind. Who brings them to life? Weekly report available. Who brings them to life? Through who? No. The Holy Spirit, yes. Through the Holy Spirit, the Lord brings people to life. And that is a, a main work of the Holy Spirit, to save the one that is dead, to bring them to life. Were we all dead at one point? Those that were not in Christ, are not Christians? Yes. And now we understand, and we can understand, and it makes more sense, the evolution and the moral relativism argument because we are believers, and it makes more sense to us now to understand it. it would never, we would never be able to understand it if we weren't saved in the first place. So that's that. Remember, the authority of Scripture. Always use Scripture. Always stick to the gospel. Always stick to what the Word of God says. That saves people. The next, of, the next point of handling objections is evaluate the question that you ask. You're going to be asked a certain question while you're preaching the gospel, and you're going to say, is this essential to my presentation right now? And the two questions that you ask yourself is, will the unbeliever accept the answer or derail the conversation? I'll tell you the answer right now to that. The unbeliever will always derail and will not accept the question. He will not accept the answer. Oh, prove to me that God exists. Creation and your conscience. No, that's not enough because he's blind. It's not going to work. Once he becomes a Christian and the Lord transforms his life, then he'll understand. Okay, now I get this. Okay. And number two, can I answer the question or will I need to answer the question later? If it's a question that's going to lead you to a rabbit hole, don't do it. Don't do it. As much as you want to fight for or argue for abortion and you know all the facts for abortion and you can commit, don't do it. That's not at the expense of the gospel. Gospel comes first. Then the Holy Spirit will put in their hearts, you know what? Yes, abortion is wrong. Or yes, evolution is not right. Or yes, moral relativism is not right. I, I believe in God and he gives me the answers. So you can say something like, yeah, that's a great question. Can I get back to you later? And then and you continue, all right? Continue with the gospel. Now, last point is do not invent an answer, okay? The last thing you want to do is invent an answer. God will hold you accountable for that, okay? God will hold you accountable for that. Don't be inventing things that are not in the Bible. Don't be saying things like help yourself. God, God helps those who help themselves, <laughs> that's the number one people I think that that verse is in the Bible and it's not. So don't be saying things that are not in the Bible. If you don't know the question, just say, hey, that's a great question. I don't know the answer, but I'll get back to you if you want me to. And that's a good point. If they're really interested, like, hey, let me get your email real quick or your phone or your text and I can, I can text you the answer when I get it. And that's a good point. Like after you preach the gospel to them and they've gone through it and you can tell them and, and then, oh, we'll, we'll be in contact because I have your number right now. And that's a good way to get their number to follow up with the gospel conversation. All right. Any questions on handling objections? All right. This is, this is the, 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 the basis of handling objections. Now we're going into the actual objections and some suggested answers. Okay. Suggested answers for common questions that arise, that could arise when you are preaching the gospel. Okay. So one question can be, how can I be certain of my salvation? How can I be certain of my salvation? So, What you don't want to do, what you don't want to do is assure a person of his salvation because they said a prayer or they walked the aisle or they, they felt an experience, right? Why? You don't want to do this because salvation 
only is based on repentant faith. Only based on repentant faith. So yes, you do believe in Christ and you could express your salvation through prayer to God, but it's always going to be evidenced through good works because the Holy Spirit is not in you. So what happens? If the person is not producing good fruits and is not sustaining victory over sin, they're going to get confused. And then they're going to think like many in our churches in America today, even in our church, think, well, when I was five or six, I said a prayer. Therefore, I'm saved. And their life says complete opposite of that. It's the complete opposite of, of a life transformed by the Holy Spirit. But because somebody said to them, if you just say, repeat after me, and if you just say this prayer, there's a party in heaven because you just repented. And you are going to heaven because you've recognized that Jesus is Lord and Savior. Talk is cheap, guys. Talk is cheap. Yes, it's first point of it. Yes, you got to recognize, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and Savior. But repentance and faith is the same coin, different sides of the same coin. Repenting faith, faith, that, that repenting faith or saving faith will always come with repentance. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Here's where he's trying to find the next king. And Samuel's like, there's no one else. He's like, stop looking at the external. Look at the heart. And the same thing with salvation. Stop saying that because outwardly you said a prayer, look at, God looks at your heart. Are you obedient to God's commandments? Do you love God? Then you'll know you're saved. So also, how many of you know the, par- the parable of the soils? I mean, you've heard that parable before, that some seed landed on the rock, some seed landed on soil, some seed landed by the road, right? And can you tell a person's salvation by their initial response? No, you can't. Because initially, many of them showed signs of salvation, right? But when the riches of this world came, they got choked. When the trials of this world came, it withered. But which ones of fruit that remained? The one that produced good fruit to the 30 60, 70, whatever percentage. I'm sorry, I don't have that in mind right now. But those are the ones that were saved. So it's impossible. You can't say somebody, even right there you're preaching the gospel and they're just starting breaking down. They're like, man, I, I've never felt so guilty before. I've never felt this, this, this guilt. I, I wanna, um, and they pray out loud. They say, Lord, forgive me, a sinner. You are God and I am not. You are Lord and I am not. And even if they say, you predestined me from the beginning of time, you're like, whoa, this guy is really saved. That's all good. What will really know, how that person will really know that they're saved? Time and fruits. They can say the right things. And you can say the right things. And some of you grow up saying the right things. I ask you the question and you know it. But that's why when we pray with the Holy Spirit, when we read, saying, Holy Spirit, illuminate Scripture to me. What does that mean? To understand it, but to practice what I'm reading. An unbeliever can understand it. An unbeliever can look at the Bible and read it and understand it. What's the difference between an unbeliever and, and you? Well, the, that the Holy Spirit allows you to act upon what you're reading. All right. Always know, test of salvation comes from examining three facets of, of repentant life. Faith that obeys Christ and flees from sin. Faith that obeys Christ and flees from sin. A true believer will begin to develop patterns of obedience as his relationship with Christ is cultivated and nurtured by consistent feeding on his word. The Bible says in 1 John 
verse five, chapter 5, verse 3, and this is the love of God, that you obey his commandments. And guess what? His commandments are super burdensome. Is that what it says? And his commandments are not burdensome. They're not. If you're really saved and you're really a Christian, following God's commandments, they might be sometimes inconvenient. You might not want to do it sometimes, but they're not a burden. You will always, it's like you will be happy to do it the majority of the times because you know it's coming from the Lord. Sometimes you might have a struggle, obedience to your parents, loving your brother more than yourself, loving your spouse more than yourself. All these things happen. It's called life. We're sinners. That's why we need a Savior. But at the end of the day, when all is said and done, like, like Solomon says, obey God, fear God, and obey his commandments. That is what a believer does. Then the, the, the believer has the presence of the fruit of the Spirit. All right? The Holy Spirit will produce within him fruit, keeping in with repentance. Okay? Know that every good thing that you have is given from God. The fact that you have gifts from the Lord are given from God. The fact that you are good at a certain th- at whatever you want to say you're good at, it was given from God. And it was all for his glory. The good fruits that you will produce after you recognize your sin in need of your, as a, that you're sinning to a Savior, all those good fruits will come to you if it's true saving faith. You will want to honor the Lord. You will want to obey and walk in the Spirit and in the fruits of the Spirit. Anybody know the fruits of the Spirit? Go. What are they? I can't hear you. Good. Okay. And then lastly, you'll have the Holy Spirit in you. And that's important. Why? Why is it important that as a believer you have the Holy Spirit indwelling in you? What does the Holy Spirit do? What does he constantly do? And what is that called? It helps you repent, right? And, it, 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 and what do you, how do you know what repentance is? That you feel what? Guilty because you've offended God. That guilt that you, that you when you sin, sometimes you feel guilt. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a human sorrow. It's like, man, I'm not really that sorry. I just got caught. But when you feel that you commit an, a, a crazy bad sin, an egregious sin, and you feel so guilty, and the first person that comes to your mind is God. It's like, man, I did this thing. I offended God. You know you're saved. You know you're saved. Because somebody who's not saved, they live for themselves. They worship their own God. They are their own God. It doesn't matter who they offended or not. It's all about me. The one that is saved and who is a true doulos of the Lord, he will immediately, you will immediately turn to, oh, God, I just disappointed you. God, what did I just do? I just gave your name. A, I just gave you a bad name in front of all these people when I said a curse word, or when I was about to fight, or when I was about to do whatever it is. That that's the Holy Spirit convicting you of your sin. John six thirty seven says, "All the Father, like, all that the Father gives me, will come to me, and the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out." And then John six forty seven says, "Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life." And you and these two things happen because of the. Holy Spirit indwelling in you, okay? That's the first objection question. How do I know 
I can be certain of my salvation, okay? And all the Holy Spirit was number three for, for that underlining. Anybody have any questions on the underlining part? Okay, let's move on to what those, what about those who have never heard the gospel? This is an, a good one, right? What about those that never heard the gospel? Are they gonna, are they not going to heaven? Do they not have a chance? Sometimes you feel that the way you say something, if, oh, well, that, that, that's, yeah, I don't, I don't know, that's, yeah, that is sort of pretty unfair. No, you, well, yes, it's true. They, they're not going to go to heaven. That's why we need to preach the gospel. That's why I'm doing this to you. That's why we need missionaries to go to the unreached peoples to save them. Because this is truth. It's very different. The person will feel more like, okay, this person knows what they're saying instead of, well, yeah, that's a good question. I don't know, but let's go back. No, it's like, yeah. If no one hears the gospel, if no one hears the gospel of Jesus Christ, they're going to go to hell. What about the billion people in India? They're all going to go to hell. What about the, the, the billion people in China that don't? They're all going to go to hell. It's simple. It is truth. But that's why we need you and me and all of us to preach the gospel so that they won't go to hell. We are all guilty, the Bible says. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. What are they suppressing? What truth are they suppressing? Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. What did God make it evident to them? For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood what? Through what has been made so that they are without excuse, through creation. Number one, everyone sees the mountains, sees the sky, sees the seasons, sees the trees, sees birth, sees humans. That is God revealing himself to us generally. So we're not without, we're, we're without excuse. But he stopped there. No, he doesn't. Go to chapter 2, verses 14. For the, when the Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. God's, your conscience is another reason, another way that God has revealed himself generally to humanity, and we're without excuse. The fact that we feel and know the majority of times what right and wrong is, the fact that we can see the sky, God's creation, that's enough to condemn every single person to hell for the sin that they've committed. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. For all, for the, the wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23. That's it. We are all responsible. And we're all guilty because of that. Why would somebody ask that question? What about those who have never heard the gospel? Why would somebody ask that question? What are they trying to do? Okay, but what are they trying to argue? What are they trying to make you believe? That God, is loving. 
that God isn't loving, that God isn't fair. And then when they say that, what then what's their next question? How can you believe in a God that's so unfair and unjust? And is that, is, is that true? No. We're going to get into the second one. The, the next um, objection, which is, answers this, the question, C, why does evil exist? If God is so good and powerful, why can't he stop evil? This is the best question you can ever have, that people can ever ask you. In fact, when, when people ask, pray that people ask you this question, and if all the other questions you ignore today, please let this be the one that you memorize on how to answer this specific question because you will be asked this throughout your entire life. In God's grace, he allows this to happen. So on a philosophical ground, the, the question itself, you're already winning when somebody asks you that question. You already won that argument and that debate because for the atheist who does not believe in God, for him to say that something is evil, then he also has to recognize that something is also good. So that if there's something that is evil and there's something that is good, then there's something that has had to exist called morality. And if morality, which teaches us what is good and what is bad, exists, therefore there needs to be a moral law giver. Somebody who tells us this is good and this is bad. Why is that important? Well, because if no one tells us what is good and what is bad, by the way, who is this moral law giver that tells us what is good and what is bad? God, the God of the Bible, tells us what is good and what is bad. Guess what? For God, murder is bad. Thou shalt not murder in the past, in the present, and in the future, right? Thou shalt not steal. It's bad in the past, in the present, and in the future. But what happens when the atheist worldview wants to claim evil and good? They can't. Why? Because they don't know what evil or good is because for them, evil is what seems inconvenient at the time. It's inconvenient, therefore it's evil. But for some, it might not be inconvenient, but for some and others. But then they'll say, if it's the majority, then the majority decides what's evil and the majority decides what's good. It, and then I say, well, are you sure you want to go through that rabbit hole? Because I can give you examples like Nazi Germany, where the majority of the people thought that they were the superior race than the Jews and they were exterminated. And they thought that their killing was okay. Is that something that you agree with? Well, not, not you, but the person I'm debating. Well, or genocide. No, 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 I don't. So then, you see, in my worldview, God tells me what is good and what is bad, and I can sleep at night knowing that. In your worldview, you don't have that. But how do I know the Bible is true? That's another question. All right? And you can say, well, I can answer that question later on. Let me continue. And then you can just talk about the resurrection of Christ. You can talk about how the Bible is, you know, it was written over 6,000 years, 100 and, uh, over 40 authors, not 6,000 years, 2,600 years, 40 authors with one main theme. That's, that's a miracle in itself. And you can continue Jesus' resurrection. But what I'm saying is they're not going to even understand all that because they're still blinded. They still need the gospel. But you're, you're answering their question. Why does evil exist? And then you can say, well, for us, evil is when you disobey what God has said is good. That for us is evil. That for us is called sin. And why does evil exist? Because man sinned and they disobeyed what God said was good. 
And because of sin, you have wars, murders, crimes, all that's bad here on earth. That's why, because of sin. And then you continue with the argument. Well, God has the ability to, God has the ability to eliminate that, that evil that I believe in. Not the one that you believe in, but the evil that I believe in, God has the ability to, to, to do away with. And I'm assuming the, the evil that you want to believe in is the same. He wants murder, ch- uh, uh, child hunger, and all these things are, 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 are things that we all want. But in order to do that, guess what, guess what, 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 what he would have to do? He would have to exterminate humanity. He would have to exterminate humanity because every person sins. Every one of us have sinned. There's none righteous, not even one. But you know what? This evil God that you think is evil, this God saw the problem of evil and knew that justice need to, needed to happen. The idea of justice, by the way, I can claim it, you can't. Because I have a moral giver that says what's right and wrong, and he can punish those who do wrong. In your view, you have no form. You want justice. Oh, my goodness. Social justice, that's the, the main idea that you have this progressive idea of wanting to change and have social justice for all. You, you want justice, but you, do you really want justice? Because justice is us paying for the sin that we've committed against God. And that's why there's a heaven and there's a hell. Just like you want people to be sent to jail because of crimes that they commit, how does that not translate into the spiritual life and the spiritual kingdom of God? And you can say he sent his only son. And the, 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 the most evil, he allowed the most evil to occur to his own son so that you and me can have a shot, can have salvation to be with him eternally. You see how the question flips on it. So this is a good question. You have the answers there. Memorize this section. Let it come out to you like it came out to me. And it's not that I've been practicing. This was an Excel question. It's always been the, the Excel question that was asked in the beginning, so I had to memorize it a lot. All these things, it's, it's always good to have it right there from the, from, uh, on the tip of your tongue so you can say it. And don't be afraid and speak it with authority because God is behind it. And this, is, this idea is God's idea. Amen? All right. So that's that one. Uh, why does evil exist if God, if God is good and powerful? Why can't he stop evil? All right. Any questions on this one? Okay, let's move on. God will accept me because I'm a good person. He knows my heart. And I have done a lot of good things. How many, person, how many things does a person need to steal to be considered a thief? One. Once you steal something, you're a thief. How many sins does it need, you need to commit to be sentenced to hell? One. What verse can we pinpoint that says that? Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. Yes. What, what, what does that say? Yeah, you can keep the whole law, but you stumble in one point, you have become guilty of all. Like, you can keep the whole law perfectly. It just takes one sin to be judged and sentenced to hell. Now, this question comes from a heart that thinks that they're good. Everyone open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 64. 
Isaiah 64, verse 6. The Word of God says, For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment, and all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Even in your, good, in your best day, the Bible says that your good deeds are like a filthy garment, a disgusting garment before the Lord, horrible, unclean garment before the Lord. And for those that actually think that God, has a, that God looks at you and he has a high view of you, Look at what Genesis 6, 5 says. Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man. The Lord saw that the, that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. You can think of yourself as a good person, but this is how God sees us. I want you to know that's, this, is, this is how God sees us. Every intent of their thoughts, every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. (laughs) Thank God we have a Savior in Jesus Christ. And thank God that when Jesus, when God sees us, he sees Jesus. And he doesn't see us because who we really are is this. And that's what God saved us from. And what about Jeremiah 17.9? The heart is more deceitful than all else, and is desperately sick. Desperately sick. That, that, that is who we are. That is who we are. Now, are we a slave to this desperately sick heart if you're a Christian? Are you? No. Are you a slave to the every intent thoughts of this heart? It was only evil continue. Are you a slave to do this continually? No. Now, if you are in Christ, you have a new nature. The Holy Spirit indwells in you, and he gives you the power both to will and to work for his own good pleasure to live the Christian life. So when somebody says, oh, God will save me because I'm a good person, he knows my heart, and I've done a lot of good things, you tell them, well, no, actually, you're not a good person because this is what God thinks about you and says about you. And Romans 3.10, that's why you memorize it. There's none righteous, not even one. Romans 3.23, for all fall short of the glory of God. Sorry, what you think is not what God thinks. But why does the unbeliever want to say that? Why does he ask that question? Why does, he, why does he think he's good? We've said this multiple times. Who can answer that? Why does somebody say, why would somebody say and make their own definition for salvation? Yes. Okay. Why else? Why? Yes. They want to live the way they want to live. They don't want to be told what to do. They like the pleasures of sin. They don't want to stop. It feels good. But I have human sorrow, so I feel guilty a little bit. I'll stop for a while. I'll go to church on Sunday. But then on Monday, I, I go all of it again. Oh, I indulge in it. Oh, Tuesday, I indulge it. I feel guilty. Let me go to Wednesday church. And then you feel that you're better because you went to Wednesday and your friends didn't. And then Thursday, come, oh, the sin, indulging in that sin. You want the best of both worlds. But guess what? can't happen that way. Doesn't ha- doesn't work that way. God is God, and He decides what salvation looks like, and He decides none of us are good enough. We need Him. What about this one? Isn't the Bible full of errors? 
What's the first question you ask when somebody says that to you? Sorry, 1,500 years. 2,600 years, that's something somehow. I think that's a timeline in Exodus. All right. Yes! yes. Tell me what, what the Bible contradicts, because I, w- I would like to know. Uh, yeah, because they don't know. They, everyone is always saying what other, they, where they hear or their friends say. But we know that the Bible is true. We know that there might seem contradictions, but if you study it in its context and you study and you interpret the Bible with the Bible, we know that it's not going to be true, that the Bible is perfect, inerrant, infallible. And then there's some things that we will never understand. And those things belong to the Lord. And we focus, the, the, we focus, the secret things belong to the Lord. We focus on what's revealed. As bond slaves that we are, as doulas that we are, we focus on what is revealed. And the secrets we leave to the Lord. What about, I don't believe that God exists. Okay. Why? Why don't they believe, why, do they, why don't people believe in God? Again, the same question. Because they don't want to be told what to do. Because if there is a God, then there is a moral giver, then there, oh, there's morality that I have to follow that I don't want to. That's why they're saying it. But you can say, just like gravity. You can't say, I don't believe in gravity and jump off a cliff. You're going to fall. You can believe, you don't have to believe in God all you want, but you will die one day and you will counter him and you will be judged. It doesn't go away. The fact that you don't believe him doesn't mean that he doesn't exist. You can ask them, how, do you, how can you prove that God doesn't exist? How do you account for the earth? Chance versus creation. Who sets the standard for right and wrong? Whose name do you curse? Who do you cry out during an earthquake? You got to challenge them. When they say you don't believe in God, why? What makes you think that? Why do you say there is no God? You can't prove he doesn't exist, so why do you make this claim? Is it because you don't want his laws to govern you? That's, 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 the, that's the ultimate question. That's the ultimate root cause. Do you want to define what right and wrong is? Just know always, all these objections come from a heart who is blinded. Just know that you were there one time too. And have mercy. And don't ever get, huh, I know more than you, you're... Don't do that because that's prideful. You're trying to love someone. You're trying to gain, gain someone and, 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 and so, someone to come to Christ, not push them away even further. And love, you, you, if they start getting heated, you start getting heated too? No. You calm down. Like, hey, man, I, this wasn't meant for, me, for this to get this way. I really, honestly, at the end of the day, I, I just, I just want to share with you this truth. There is a heaven and there is a hell, whether you believe it or not. And I really want you to focus on eternity because it's long. And I really want you to make Jesus your Lord because you will be judged. And I don't want you to go to hell. I want you to worship the Father now. And I want you to worship the Father and be with him because it's the, it's the best. Being a slave of Christ is the best thing you can ever do and have. So I'm sorry if you think this is offensive. It's not. It's not I'm not trying to offend you. I'm trying to actually save you. I don't need saving. Okay, I'll be praying for you. Thank you very much. That's it. Another one, he cannot know, we can't really know what happens when we die, right? Eh. But again, he's making a claim. What, what authority do you have to make that claim? Do you not, do, are, is it, are, can you prove that nothing happens when you die? Just like, can you prove that there's not a God? So why would you make such a claim if you can't? 
You don't have enough evidence, enough information to make that claim, so why even make it? But how can you take this question and revert it on them? Why do you ask this question? I know what's going to happen when we really die. Are you afraid of death? Why are you afraid of death? And then you go into the gospel and continue with the gospel. And don't be afraid of using terms like heaven and hell. Because there are a lot of people thinking universalism that's like, eh, we're all going to heaven. For those, you'd be like, well, I thought that you wanted justice. So you're saying that someone here on earth, if there's, if there's no justice on earth, there shouldn't be justice in heaven either? So you're okay with just condemning people here on earth, but eternity they can not be condemned? Especially you, especially if you're, you know, if you're preaching the gospel to a social justice warrior, this is a great opportunity. Like you, you're all for justice. You all for equality. You all want the best for those that are being oppressed. And that's, a, that's, that's you can say, and that's, that's admirable for you to have that, right? That way you bring the barriers down and you bring their defenses down. Oh, wow. He, but if you want justice, wouldn't you think God wants justice too and wants to punish those who have sinned against him eternally? Or some people believe that there's just death, that there's no, there's no resurrection after that. And you're like, no, the Bible's clear. There is a resurrection. And we're all going to resurrect in, in a glorified body. A glorified body to be in the presence of the Lord and a glorified body to endure the torments of hell. But you will have a glorified body. And then you ask, where do you get this belief from that we really can't know if there's a heaven or not? Where do you get this belief that there is no God? Oh, because... You made it up or somebody else made it up and you're just copying them. And lastly, Christians are hypocrites. Forgiveness is simply an excuse for sin. Again, many claim to be Christians and they're not. A person can tell a true Christian by one simple test. If you, how can you tell a true Christian is a true Christian? Does she obey, he or she obey Christ? Does he or she obey the commandments of Christ? Part of that commandment is confessing the Lord as your Lord and Savior, yes. But that doesn't, it just doesn't stop there. It's a lifestyle of commandments. Do you read the word? Do you pray? Do you serve the Lord with your gifts that he's given you? Do you serve the church? Are you part of this equipping of the church? Are you burdened to teach and preach the gospel? Do you feel guilty when you sin? This is a good one for those that think they are saved, which the majority of them you're going to encounter here and everywhere, especially here in the Bible Belt because a lot of people do go to church, not like other cities that they don't go to church at all, but the per capita here in, in the Bible Belt, a lot of people go to church and a lot of people think they're saved. So this is a great opportunity to tell them. It's not just simply an excuse for sin. A believer does have that guilt and wants to, be forgiven by God every time he does that. True, if you are a true believer in Christ and you have the Holy Spirit, you will want to repent. So again, it is the word of God that saves. It is the gospel that saves. Objections are going to come. If you don't know the answer, hey, that's a great question. Do you mind if I finish this train of thought and we can go back to it later? Happens all the time. It happens to me. And I, you know, it happens to anybody. So if you don't know a question, don't try to answer it. Stick to the Word of God. Stick to the Bible. 
and I promise, guarantee you, take it to the bank 100%, that God will do his work. But once you start thinking that you could save somebody because of your moral reasoning and how great you are and your philosophy and your PhD and some of you are pretty good and some of you are pretty argumentative and can do it, it's not going to save. What does the Bible say? What is the foolishness of Christianity? What did Paul have to write to the Corinthians who were saying, what was, what, what, what was the foolishness to the world? Christ and him crucified. Christ and him You preach Christ and you preach him crucified. That is foolishness to the world. They won't get it. They won't understand it. That is foolishness to the world, but for us it's salvation. Stick to the word of God. Stick to the gospel. Stick to that first. Once you preach the gospel, all of it, and they still want to have a conversation with you, creation, evolution, know that you're not going to convince them because they're blinded, they're dead, but it could, use a, it could be an opportunity for them to continue to think about what you said. And God can use that apologetics at the end and maybe use that as well for future. But the gospel is what saves. Any questions on that? Any questions that you get that you might think, oh, how, do, how would you answer this one, Hondo? I get this one all the time. Any, any, any of that? Any, anybody have a question? How, or how would you respond to this? Or how would you respond to that? Keep on praying for the unbelievers on your list. Keep on praying for the unbelievers on your list. Don't be afraid of the gospel. Don't be afraid of preaching the gospel. It is the power of God to salvation for those who believe. Be bold and do it. And for some reason, like let's say you guys, when you decide to preach the gospel to family members, I guess they'll trust you. I guess they have a, in their, in their, in their humanity, in their humanism, they think that, oh, a child is more innocent than an adult. And, and it's just different. A gospel message coming from the youth and from a child and from an, an actual adult. And maybe God uses that to soften the heart. And the family members that your parents have always preached to come to Christ because you preach to them. And it happens, and it could happen. Don't be afraid. But be ready. Be ready. That's why you're taking this course. And that's why which question, which objection are the, is the one that you're going to focus on? Out of all of them, which one did I say that you should focus on? The one where asked why God would Yes. That one's always going to come up. And if you give a solid confident response to that it could it could serve as a springboard to the gospel and to and to salvation all right let's pray god we we praise you we thank you for the cross for christ and him crucified we thank you for the message of the gospel we thank you father because you are the one that saves lord and it is for your own glory god so that none of us could ever think we are powerful enough smart enough gifted enough lord to save, you save with a simple message, your message. Help us trust in your word and in your message when delivering the gospel. Help us not go through rabbit trails. Help us not take focus away from your son and him and him crucified and resurrected. Help us focus on your word and the gospel. Now, allow us to be also trained, Lord, in, in, in apologetics for those that feel the burden to and thank you, Father, for allowing some to do that because that is another avenue where you save people, Father. And we, if that's anyone here, Lord, allow them to continue to grow in their apologetics, Lord. But most importantly, allow us all to grow 
in the burden of sharing your gospel with those that are lost. It is in your Christ's name we pray. Amen.